Hey guys, welcome to Surfing the Scriptures with Zach, Jordan, and Wes. I'm Wes, and I just want to welcome you to this podcast and give you a little bit of an idea of what to expect from it. Uh, This podcast was actually birthed out of the COVID-19 pandemic that we're currently going through when this was recorded. Uh, We haven't been able to meet together as a church body, and we had to get a little creative with how we've been doing our Bible studies. So uh, I've always wanted to do a podcast, and this is one of the first ideas that I came up with. I'm super excited about this. I hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, the, the goal of this podcast is not to just be edified, but have community still during all the craziness that's going on in the world right now. So the, the goal and the encouragement is for us to meet together in our groups of three or groups of four. Those are what we call our discipleship groups. Meet Maybe meet in a park or have a, a phone call or a Zoom call with some people and talk about this. We're going to have some discussion questions afterwards and maybe even an activity from time to time. So the, the goal is to go through a book of the Bible every month for y'all to read along with us, listen to this podcast, and talk about God's Word. I, I'm super excited about this, and I hope you enjoy our first episode of Surfing the Scriptures with Zach, Jordan, and Wes. Hey y'all, this is Jordan. This is Zach. And this is Wes, and uh, welcome to our first episode of Surfing the Scriptures. Today, we're going over the book of Esther. Okay, Uh, the book of Esther. I'm excited about this book. So, I think uh, it would be uh, just fitting to kind of just dive into what we're going in today. I thought it'd be cool to start off with a an overview of the book and kind of give some cool historical facts I found whenever I was like researching this book. Uh, So a few facts about the book of Esther. Um, It is the only book of the Hebrew Bible that's not found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, So that's one of the most complete um, like manuscripts of the Old Testament and it's almost never, it's not found in there uh, at all. there is never a mention or reference to this book found anywhere else in the Bible. Hmm. And here's the big one that I think a lot of people, like a lot of scholars have noted this, and this is what I think makes the book so controversial. Uh, The name God is never used in this book or mentioned in this book. No names attributed to God are ever even mentioned. Um, So uh, what does that mean? You know what I mean? Like why would an author do that? Some people have taken that and have like found this book to be kind of questionable because of that um, and kind of question its canonicity. Here's another cool one I found. Um, the book of Esther is the only, it's, the book of Esther is about the, the festival of Purim, right? Um, per, the festival of Purim is the only festival in the Old Testament that's instituted after the Torah. So like, the Torah has, I think, three or four major festivals right. that God commands his people to, to do. And this whole book is about the festival of Purim. Um, and that's the only time that happens after the Torah, um, after like Moses gives the law. Um, but God's never mentioned. <laughs> so uh, I think it's really interesting and really, really cool. Um, uh, so 
with that being said, happy Purim. Uh, Purim 2020 this year was March 9th and March 10th. Yep. Oh, nice. um, so actually just passed. And this is one of five books in the Old Testament that's read aloud uh, today in Jewish synagogues uh, during five of their festivals. Um, so um, some of the things that they do during Purim, uh, they celebrate by giving to the poor, uh, exchanging gifts, and having a feast. And what I found really interesting, I think what is kind of pertinent to our conversation today, is that um, some Jewish traditions will, will celebrate by dressing up and wearing masks and costumes. Um, and that will come in more to play um, later on in our discussion. So yeah, uh, I think we could, you know, I guess just start off with like the first chapter, first verse. Um, Zach, could you read? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm actually um, going to be reading the NLT uh, translation, if that's fine. If that's not, cool. Yeah, yeah, no, that's NIV. cool. Um, um, but basically what it says is in the first verse, it says, these events happened in the days of King Xerxes, who reigned over 127 provinces stretching from India to Ethiopia. Okay, so a little bit more historical context. I just want to ask y'all a question. Does King Xerxes sound familiar? Yes. Where have you heard King Xerxes from? History 300? class. 300! <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, yeah. you probably heard him from history World class. history, awesome. yeah. yeah. I've see, actually never seen 300. Oh, okay. Really? Yeah, yeah. that's um, the only... Like most people first. only know well, we know the, the nerd in the 300 room. <laughs> okay, I, I always, when i first read this book i was like oh like 300 yeah and you know what this is the same king xerxes from 300 right yeah so zach you've seen the movie right what is king xerxes like man he's just um well for one thing his voice is extremely deep so yeah. he he has a presence um, that um can cause a lot of fear in a lot of people um he leads by command, and 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 in some instances, he's like, he's very direct, but he's also um, unapolog unapologetically himself, you know. So when he gives commands, he he purposely does it, you know. And um, I don't know. I think in the movie, I think he was open to to being reasoned with, but for the most part, um, he just gave off this like persona that was like. Oh man, this guy like really really means what he says, you know. So yeah, you know that can cause a lot of fear in a lot of people. Yeah, I mean he's wearing lots of jewelry, right? Yeah, he's uh, lots of gold. Very rich, um, right? He's got everything, all the pleasures and the luxuries afforded to him in the movie, and he's like the bad guy, the egotistical, maniacal, like bad guy trying to go up against the few Spartan three hundred, right? Right. Um, I think the movie in some ways does a good job of capturing that character. And the Book of Esther paints him in a similar light, uh, but I would say he's a little bit more lighthearted in this book. Always has a cup of wine in his hand. Always drinking. You don't know what you're going to get from him, right? Um, and that's the, the picture I kind of get. I, I was actually reading um, uh, somewhere, in, I think it's in uh, chapter uh, 7. Uh, it's whenever Esther reveals the whole plot. Uh, I thought this was kind of funny. Chapter 7, verse 7. So he, 
King Xerxes just learned that Haman's trying to kill his wife and all of her people, and it says that the king got up in a rage and left his wine and went out into the palace garden. Um, <laughs> not the wine. Not the wine, right? Not uh, the wine. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that gives you an idea. And when we start, uh, the first scene of this book, the king throws a party that lasts seven days for the entire city of Susa. And he's, it says that he gives Spartier. people however much wine they want. So... That's um, a lot of wine. Yeah, and there was like no no uh, no uh, restrictions to how much you yeah, could drink. Yeah, you know, right. So, um, so that kind of gives you an idea of the persona of this guy. I think a lot of people think of him as a super intense guy from Three Hundred. Right. He's throwing parties. He's you know week long, however much wine you want for the whole city. So that's how this book starts. Um. So. Uh, think it would be good to kind of start talking about some of these characters that's King Xerxes I think it'd be helpful uh, if we read um, chapter 2 verse 1 uh, if anyone Jordan if you could read sure, I'll read it. Um, 1 through 4 right uh, it says later when the anger of King Xerxes had subsided he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her then the king's personal attendants proposed, Let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful girls into the harem at the citadel of Susha. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the girl who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Okay, uh, so right there, kind of funny, right? Uh, king Xerxes he's basically divorced Queen Vashti, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and he's like, then he remembers it. <laughs> then he kind of realizes what he's done, gets a little right. lonely, right? Um, and I was just thinking about this. This competition, this, I don't even know what you would call it, is basically an ancient equivalent of today's Bachelor. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, you're right. You know, right. Yeah. there's one guy, uh -huh. and the most beautiful, attractive, and pleasing woman to him, well, he'll marry at the end, right? Right. Um, yeah. This is not like a, a very good way, in my opinion, to find a wife. Um, and not a, it doesn't seem like a very um, it seems a little shallow, to say the least, right? Yeah, yeah, very very much. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm definitely glad that you brought up the whole bachelor thing, but it it's it's it, there is like a polygamous uh, undertone or really overtone uh, in in this whole situation because you know they even brought up the harem, which where you know if a king has multiple wives, concubines, or female servants, this is where they would be housed at you know, mm -hmm. um, within, within the Citadel. So, um, you're right. It's, it's definitely similar to, you know, the bachelor for sure, you know, having multiple women and trying to figure out which one is for me. And a lot of that is based on beauty as well. Like the appearance. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Um, and let me ask you all this question. Do you think Esther should be in this contest. Depends on what's entailed. 
Oh, let's. Okay, good, good point. Let's go to this. Uh, Jordan, can you read chapter two, verse twelve? Th- that's a really good point. Uh, verses twelve through fourteen. Yeah. This is what like every woman when they actually get a chance to see the king. This is what happens. Yeah, so it says, before a girl's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh and six with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go there and in the morning return to another part of the harem to the care of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch who is in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. Okay, so verse 14. In the evening, she would go there to the king and in the morning return to another part of the harem. What does that sound like? Does it say anything directly? Um... Are you talking about in terms of like how it relates to the bachelor? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I'm thinking about well, on the show they have this thing called the fantasy suite, Mm -hmm. um, which is like, you know, when the contestants of women are are numbered down to like the top three, um, you can choose to go into the fantasy suite with the bachelor, um, and then after that night, um, you know, maybe a few episodes later, the bachelor will decide, you know, who his wife is gonna be. So they set it up for, you know, have maybe a bit more privacy, more more intimacy. But, yeah. A night with the king. Right. Right? Exactly. A night with the bachelor, a night with the king. They don't say exactly what, but there's a huge implication there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, One would assume. One would assume. Certain things are happening. Certain things are happening, but nothing's directly said. Right. Um, And I think that kind of follows a little bit of the the theme of this book, you know. Mm -hmm. God is never mentioned. Um... So, uh, I think this kind of brings me to Esther and Mordecai um, and who this book is written to. Um, Esther and Mordecai aren't moral examples of great people to follow. They're kind of a mixed bag, right? I think about Daniel and the things that he stood up for mm-hmm. while in exile. Yeah. Should Esther have concealed her identity? And, okay, so first she probably shouldn't have even gone into this contest. <laughs> Should she have concealed her identity? I don't. I, I think it's debatable, right? Yeah. But I don't think so. Um, and on top of that, um, I, I think that kind of we take a step back from this book and ask ourselves, who is this book written to? Um, this book, the events that when it took place are after the first return from exile. And that happened in, I believe, uh, 583 B.C. This mm-hmm. book, uh, King Xerxes' reign was 43 to 471 B.C. Yeah. So that's like a hundred years later. Hmm. And I got to think, how does it feel to be a Jew who didn't go back to the temple? What would go through your mind if yeah. you're not there, you know what I mean? Right. Like, in, in, if uh, you chose not to go, um, I have a quote from a, a, a scholar named Thomas Constable on the book of Esther. And it says, Most of the Jews in exile did not return, even though their law and their prophets encouraged them to do so. They preferred the comfort and convenience of life as they had come to know it 
outside the promised land to the discomfort and privation involved in obeying God. Esther and Mordecai were among those who chose not to return. I think at the same time you see, I wouldn't necessarily say that they were like morally egregious. Yeah. Just maybe maybe lukewarm. I don't know. Because you also see yeah. like a lot yeah. of wisdom on their behalf um, in their dealings with the world. Um, but I think your, your point is that they're not this like stellar, super like charismatic righteous amazing paul type like yeah right yeah um they compromised just like we often compromise exactly right i i think they are a mixed bag and I, maybe yeah. i should say that a little bit more and we'll get to some of their high moments in a little bit but they are definitely a mixed bag you know yeah. um and and if i put myself in their shoes and they're in exile, I could also understand why some Jews wouldn't come back, you know. Um, Zach, could you read uh, chapter 2, verse 7? Yeah, definitely. So it says, uh, this man, uh, being Mordecai, had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, uh, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. So kind of to a little bit of a counter of the point we were just talking about uh these people are people who've also kind of gone through some tragedy mm -hmm. you know uh both of esther's parents have died we don't know if mordecai has a wife or any of the children and i could understand if you're caught in a situation where you could go back to israel but then yeah, your cousin's parents just died you don't want to uproot the family mm -hmm. you know um and I, I could understand that. Uh, so these people, I think, uh, these characters, what I love about the Book of Esther is that they have lots of layers. And I think they represent us in a lot of ways. Uh, Jordan, we were talking a little bit about this book last night um, and uh, how God is not mentioned in the book. <laughs> mm -hmm. And how you have to look for him in uh, the smaller details. Um, and you shared a scripture with me that I think really resonated. Um, it was Jeremiah... 29. 29, uh, yeah. 13, I think. Yeah. Uh, when you seek me, you'll find me. When you seek me with all your heart. Yeah. Um, and I think, and I, I, we were talking about this and I actually realized that is Jeremiah's letter to the exiles. Mm -hmm. And uh, being in exile, so to speak, um, we're not always the perfect moral examples. And a lot of times our flaws and our faults come out and ways that we don't want them to. <laughs> right. And a lot of times it's easy to backslide. It's easy to feel like God isn't close to us or isn't there um, when I think the book of Esther, because God is not mentioned, shows us that even when God seems extremely distant from us and even when it seems like we've messed up, we've backslided a little bit in our faith, that there's all these other people maybe doing great things for the kingdom of God that God's still with us, and God is still here. Um, and I just thought about that, you know, like I think the book of Esther really actually, as you read it, you have to search for God more because you don't actually see the name, which I think is just such a cool design, and it reflects our lives a lot more. Um, 
a lot of times I think we want to see God part the seas in our life, right? Part the mm-hmm. Red Seas like he did for Moses or uh, to send fire down from heaven like he did for Elijah mm-hmm. or for Jesus to walk on water and ha- tell us to step out of the boat. Uh, but I think the book of Esther invites us to real life mm-hmm. where we feel a little bit more isolated or we feel distant from God and it doesn't seem like things always work out. Um, God seems a little silent and in those silent years God invites his people to listen a little closer and to look a little harder uh, to see him working in their lives mm-hmm. I think that's a really cool message I feel like Esther is a better portrayal of what walking by faith looks like in reality most of the time because most of the time God isn't giving you these like flashing signs saying this is what you need to do. Most of the time it's like, man, I don't even I don't even know. Like I think of the scripture, I think it's Proverbs 16:9 says uh, in his heart a man plans his course, but yeah. the Lord directs its steps. Yeah. steps. Yeah. And it's like walking by faith. It's it If you're not walking by faith, it's really easy to get ahead of God hmm. or to fall behind God. But walking by faith means like doing what you know is right moment to moment and like Obviously, Esther didn't do that perfectly, but somehow God still used it. That's another thing I've been kind of chewing on in my mind mm-hmm. lately is that even in our, God works even in our sin for his glory, which is just this mind-blowing mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. You can compare the whole, you know, the training that she went through with the harem to the training that um, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were supposed to go through a generation earlier in Babylon. Oh, yeah, yeah. But they stood up and said, no, we're not going to do this. Right. You know, they, they kind of resisted. And what happened? God was glorified. But then you look at Esther, and she didn't. She kind of just went with the flow, which is probably, we would say, not ideal from a spiritual point of view. But God still used that yeah. to glorify himself. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great point. Yeah. And there were definitely some instances where she went against the rules that were established, you know, like, which we will probably end up reading through later, you know, how she did oppose certain rules that were there at the Citadel uh, in regards to when, you know, the queen was supposed to, the queen or anyone was supposed to, you know, confront the king or go to his his, uh, quarters or to his side side of the Citadel, so... Yeah. We'll definitely find out more. Um, but yeah, um, you know, it is it is amazing to see that in this book how how God does um, how God can be glorified from from our sin and even in those moments of weakness when we choose to be obedient and do what's right, like God blesses that and is glorified through that. Yeah, definitely. And we'll we're gonna go right to that moment whenever Esther walks into the king soon. Um, but I I just thought about you know again. Uh, how the, the Jews today, some Jews today celebrate this holiday by dressing up in costumes, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's such a deep and a really cool way to celebrate it because they're saying, hey, God's in disguise. You don't mm-hmm. see him. He's right there with you. You just don't see him working. Mm-hmm. And that's just such a cool, in my way, in my opinion, way to celebrate that and like a reminder you know it's like, yeah. it almost makes me want to be <laughs> wish that we celebrated for him or something like that um i know sometimes people have like a problem with halloween um yeah <laughs> but 
but yeah, let's 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 do uh, let's go to uh, Esther chapter four. Okay. Because um, I think it's uh, an important part of the book. Before we read it, though, I want to ask you guys: What do you think is the center of this book? Define center. Okay. Thank you. Um, this is a bad question. This book is a giant chiasm, and if you don't know what chiasm is, like a literary device that uh, is often employed in the Bible where the message is not found at the end of the story but the middle of the story and there's little motifs or stories or themes placed on the beginning and the end of the story that mirror each other so that you see that it's pointing towards the center okay i call it a bible sandwich right yeah but this bible sandwich would have it'd be perfect it'd be like you have a burger with two patties that are exactly the same lettuce tomato patty tomato lettuce patty mm, you know okay, okay. Um, and that's exactly how the book of Esther is is designed um, so what do you think would be the center part of this book uh, for me I would say it's when um, Mordecai goes to Esther um, because there's been a decree that's been issued yeah. out where you know all Jews are gonna be murdered and their wealth is gonna be plundered <coughs> right the yeah. belongings are gonna be taken and she mentions the Mordecai hey like tell all the Jews to fast and pray for, for, for three days, both day and night, um, before I go to the king and, like, you know, request this, you know, either this decree to be overturned or for something else to be, for something else to be established in place so that, um, you know, the, the rest of the Jews, including her, God's people, will be protected. So I think it's maybe that moment that's the middle of, of the, of the, um, I guess the middle of, of like the chapter. Yeah, no, uh, that's actually what most people I think would think, huh. but it's not the center of the book. That's like the epic decision moment for Esther, right? And that for her is like one of the most important parts of the book, but it's not the center of the chiasm. The center of the book is chapter six when Mordecai is honored and Haman is deposed. Okay. And that is sandwiched by two dinners that Esther has with Haman and the king. So there's two mirror stories of a dinner with Esther, Haman, and the king. And that's in the center. And the center is Haman trying to destroy God's people and enact this plan and kill Mordecai. And his very plan to kill Mordecai ends up killing him. that I think summarizes this book, it would be 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. And it says something, I've always found this really interesting. Uh, if we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for mm -hmm. God cannot disown himself. 
and I think Esther is a really good example of what it looks like to be faithless but not to disown God. So we probably should have jumped into the scripture already, but let's jump into it now. Um, Esther chapter 4, um, verse 12. This is when Esther is thinking. Mordecai's already given her the, the message, hey, Haman's going to try and kill all the Jewish people, and uh, you need to do something about the king. And then Esther tells him, hey, I can't. I might get killed. And this is Mordecai's response. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this this answer do not think that because you are in the king's house you alone of all the jews will escape for if you remain silent at this time relief and deliverance for the jews will arise from another place but you and your father's family will perish and who knows but you have come to a royal position for such a time as this then esther sent this reply to mordecai go gather together all the jews who are in susa and fast for me do not eat or drink for three days night or day and i and my maids Will fast as you do when this is done I will go to the king and though it is against the law if I perish I perish right that's what I think most people think the book is and that's an awesome moment right um, but this, this decision is not easy for Esther right um, and I just think it's really cool how the author um, like shows you Esther's struggling to like struggle to make this decision because you would think okay after this what do you think Esther's gonna do if you haven't read the story after the three days of fasting she's gonna go to the king right ask him to reconsider the decree yeah Mm -hmm. okay but what does Esther do she invites him to a banquet exactly right let's let's read that Um, so chapter 5 Verse three. Esther's walked into the 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 king's um, hall, and the king extends his scepter. She is not killed. He sees her favorably. This is what happens. Can you read five verse three through um, three through? Uh, I'll say seven. Yeah. So it says, uh, "Then the king asks her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request?'" I will give it to you even if it is half the kingdom. And Esther replied, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for the king. The king turned to his attendants and said, Tell Haman to come quickly uh, to a banquet as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet. While they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther, Now tell me what you really want. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. Esther replied, this is my request and deepest wish. Okay, stop there. So, I just imagine Esther walking into the king's palace, and he's like, Esther, my wife, I haven't seen you in 30 days. It says that earlier, that he hasn't, Esther hasn't seen her, the king in 30 days. What do you want? I'll give you up to half the kingdom. I think up to... Uh, yeah. Hi, yeah, half the kingdom, and I just imagine Esther saying, uh, like freezing in the moment, and be like, "Dinner, let's do dinner <laughs> tonight. Me, you, bring Haman. Let's do dinner tonight." And the king's kind of like, "Okay, yeah, sure," and he doesn't forget the request, because at the dinner, 
finally there, Esther's probably like walking out, like thinking, oh my gosh, what did I do? Uh, I gotta tell him at the dinner, maybe that's a better place, he'll be after a few drinks, you know what I mean? They get to the dinner, then the king's like, okay, Esther, what's this request? I imagine the waiter stopped, you know, everyone kind of looks at her, and verse 8, if the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let king ha let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them, then I will answer the king's question. What's Esther doing? She's stalling. She's stalling? Yeah, she's stalling. She, she fasted for three days, got the whole Jewish nation to fast with her. Mm -hmm. She goes to the king, and then she stalls, at least for the night. Then they have dinner that night, and then oh, she stalls again, right? Right. I thought they only had a banquet once. It was like twice. Yeah, they actually have yeah. uh, a banquet twice. Right, because then... Um, so, this is... And I love this part of the book, because you would think... Esther, you're being faithless. God can't work through you, right? Yeah, like, this is, um, an, a, I think one interesting thing to point out is like, um, I believe that she was faithful, but that her faith yeah. wasn't fully complete yeah. because yeah. Um, there yeah. was even a rule at the at the Citadel that if you went into the king's, you know, room or chambers, wherever, without being invited, then you'd be put to death. You know, that is a like, huge leap of faith that she took just stepping exactly. in there, right? Exactly. And that's a good point. She's faithful, but she's not perfect. Right. And that is so encouraging. I don't know if you've ever had to like tell someone something, and maybe it's like you had like they said something mean to you, or you got to request <laughs> something from your boss, and you just don't want to do it. Right. Or maybe you need to confess sin. And maybe you only you only tell half the truth, but yeah. not like the full truth. Right? You only tell so much of it and you leave out certain details. Um and I, I just imagine Esther in this position, she she doesn't have to be perfect. And in fact, her imperfections glorify God even more. Which is just it's amazing. Uh, if she had told the king this right here and right now, then what happens next wouldn't have happened. Um in chapter six, so We'll skip a few verses in chapter 5. Haman goes home, talks to his wife and his friends, and is like, hey, I just had a uh, dinner with the king and his wife. Mm -hmm. Things are good. And then they're like, hey, you should, you know, Mordecai, that guy who never bows down to you, you should kill him. Right. Set up a pole for him. So Haman's like, oh, game time. I'm going to, I got this plot. I got this plan. Things are going good. I'm going to go to another dinner. Chapter 6, verse 1. That night, the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought and read aloud to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who had guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king answered, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows he had erected for him. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? As the audience, you're snickering right now. Haman thought to himself, 
who is there that the king would rather honor than me? Mm-hmm. Right? You're like, oh, man, Haman does not know what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. So he answered the king, for the king... The man delight for the man the king delights to honor. Have them bring a royal robe he has worn and a horse he has ridden on with a royal crest. Then let the king, let the, let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes, and let the robe of the man, the king delights to honor, um, and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, "This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor." Go at once, the king commanded, and get the robe and the horse for Mordecai. Do not neglect <laughs> anything you have recommended. That would not, that whole story, that exaltation of Mordecai would not have happened if Esther had kind of wimped, wimped out a little bit at the dinner, right? Yeah, yeah, and if she sure. wasn't a little wavering in her faith, if she wasn't stalling, none of that would have happened. And later on when you read, um, when at the second dinner, whenever Esther reveals everything and she does finally say it, Haman is killed on the very pole that he sets up, the, the gallows that he sets up to kill Mordecai on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that even in our unfaithfulness, God is faithful. And even whenever we waver and we, we're trying to be faithful and we fall on our face, or maybe we don't do exactly what we really should be doing, we kind of take a little step of faith and not a leap of faith. God just cares that we take the action, that we say what we need to say, that we do what we need to do, whatever that means, if it's an application or talking to that brother or sister you need to talk to or reaching out to that neighbor you've been wanting to reach out to for a while. Um, it's not about our performance, it's about, it's about our faithfulness. And I think that's central to the book of Esther. Absolutely. You want to point out something real quick, yeah, too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you turn back to chapter two, I, I found this to be like a little bit of like humor, uh, I guess humorous, because I think somewhere near, um, let's see, chapter two, verse like 22, 23, um, it says, But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. Um, you know, so it, it's funny that she she told him in chapter two, "Hey, there's this plot that's yeah, gonna be, yeah. you know, against you, right? To to mm-hmm. kill you." But I believe that the king he forgot through everything. Maybe he, I don't know. Maybe he had too much wine, right? Yeah. But he seemed to have forgotten that, you know, that, you know, yeah. his guards were out to get uh, uh, yeah. out out to get him. And it also mentions that it was recorded, you know, within that book, yeah. right? The book of the history of his reign. And, um, yeah. But yeah, I just found it to be very interesting, you know, that it took um, Esther, you know, struggling with her faith, you know, to for be... For the king to even remember that. Exactly. And I wonder if you're Mordecai in that moment, you're thinking, I just saved the I king. Just, yeah. What the heck? I don't get nothing. <laughs> right? Yeah. And God's like, nope, I got to wait because I have the perfect time to bless you. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh, you know what I mean? How many times have we done something and like, it reminds me of Joseph. Whenever uh, he interprets um, his two fellow, uh, not slaves, prisoners. Right. When he's in prison, they're dreams. And one of them gets beheaded, the other one gets set free. And then the one that gets set free is like, he tells him, hey, remember me. Yeah. Get me out of here. You know what I mean? Exactly. And then the prisoner forgets for two years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Until God needs him to remember. Yeah. Um, That's powerful. That is powerful. Um, Yeah. 
And it can show us that even whenever it seems like God's forgotten about us or he hasn't rewarded us for our faithfulness or uh, like we haven't seen the results of our faith in the moment, that God's still working and he has, he's going to bless us in the exact right time. If I could comment, I, I'm not sure I'm totally on board with the like Esther's being faithless type of thing. I think as I read the book, I see Esther as someone who's good with people. Right. She managed yeah. to stick out amongst all the other um, girls that went through this beauty contest pageant, whatever. Um, I'm sure there were lots of, I'm sure all of them were appealing to the eye or whatever, but somehow Esther stood out. And so, I don't know, I kind of see this more as like, not as her chickening out, but her reading the situation. And saying like, hmm. okay, put it this way. If you know someone who's rich and you're going to go ask them for a lot of money, but you haven't seen him in a few years, you're not going to ask him for that money the first time you see him. You're not going to be like, hey, haven't seen you yeah, in a while. Yeah. How would you like to give me a million bucks so I can start this? You'd, what would you do? You'd I, spend some time with him yeah, first. Yeah, right? yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, you, you could say you'd butter him up. Right, I think Esther's buttering the king up, not not so much being faithful, but thinking, I've I've got to do this right because so much rides on it. It's, so I mean, you could say she was being shrewd. That's 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 my point of view on. Yeah, on, you know, on I've actually picture, heard but, different mm-hmm. teachers di- teach different things on this. Yeah, I've heard what you know, kind of where I fall on it. Whenever yeah. I that's just how I read it. I've also heard people say that about Esther that she's really tactful about all this stuff and that yeah. she intentionally tells the doesn't tell the king she doesn't answer the king twice mm-hmm. and it gives him two night like a yeah. night to think about it and I don't know if you've ever had anyone tell you hey can we talk next week about what and they don't tell you right yeah don't worry oh I hate it when people tell me that <laughs> and like especially if like hey can we talk next week and can you bring Zach with you too yeah. Like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> did I do something? Wait, what did I do? Yeah. What's going on? Oh my gosh! <laughs> it's no yeah. wonder the king stayed up really late and couldn't sleep. Yeah. And that kind of does give God an opportunity to work. So I think there is that other side of the coin there too. You know, yeah. that like, oh, was Esther being? Was she frazzled and just kind of struggling to get this out, and God worked through it, or was she just being really wise and discerning in a moment of? great faith that's being asked of her and she's like I need to have faith but I don't want to do this when the king's doing his work yeah I'll have have a few drinks and then you know what sleep on it I'll let you think about it a little bit more yeah. before I even tell you and that whole process in itself probably you know if you say Wes I want to let's get some time in four days I'm not going to tell you what you're probably going to be thinking about me and our relationship. Yep. So over those two days, he's probably thinking about his relationship <laughs> yeah. with her. And maybe that is the stimulus that makes him think like, oh, you know, like her uncle is Mordecai or cousin or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe got him thinking about that and said, you know, I never did anything for him. <laughs> yeah, think, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that, that story that's, might that's have stuck out but. whenever... That story might have stuck out whenever yeah. they're reading his waiting. history. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what I believe is, like, maybe toward the end of the book, she reveals to him how she's related to Mordecai. So as of right now, he's just a Jew. And I think, correct oh, me if I'm wrong, but I think he becomes, 
he becomes a palace official maybe toward the beginning of the book but i know that she reveals to the king that she is related to mordecai and i believe it's after all this has gone down but i can find it it's just interesting the parallels between esther and joseph and i don't know if oh that was something you wanted to hit so, on in another um, class, but yeah it wasn't and, and we're not discussing now but in chapter eight she tells the king that she's related to mordecai, mordecai. Yeah, yeah, yeah she yeah, explains yeah. how they're and, related uh, just a little yeah uh, mordecai is not an official till after this okay and it's actually really interesting we don't have time to go into it but there's a parallel between esther's exaltation and queen Vashti's deposition mm-hmm. at the beginning of the book and haman's deposition and mordecai's exaltation okay mordecai yeah. and esther both leave the king in a scene wearing a crown esther at the beginning of the book mordecai at the end of the book wow. so mm-hmm. really really cool stuff and um yeah so I, it's been about like 45 minutes uh, I think we've been talking a little bit, uh, but yeah, I, I think this is a really, really good conversation. Um, and I think my main takeaways from this book were, uh, and God works in disguise. He doesn't always part the Red Seas. He doesn't always, you know, send fire down from heaven. Um, but he works in small ways. We just have to look for him a little bit more and seek after him a little bit more. And that God is always present with us even when it feels like he's distant and even when it feels like we're not the most faithful person in the world or the best quote-unquote Christian in the world. Uh, God is always there. And yes, there are uh, moments of faith that we need to respond to despite God feeling distant. And we need to respond to those moments with wisdom and with courage and with faith. Um, God's not looking for us to be perfect. Um, it's just looking for us to be faithful in whatever mm-hmm. that looks like in our lives. So, yeah, yeah I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, hope it wasn't too long. Um, but, yeah, I, we'd encourage you guys to uh, talk about this in your G3s and your G4s to get together somehow. And we're going to have a few discussion questions and maybe even an activity this week. Love you guys. Love you guys.